Welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. Hello and welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. Welcome indeed, friends. I'm Matt Reiswig. I'm Dan Driver. And we work for Net Ministries. At NET, we've noticed that a vast majority of Catholic youth are disconnecting from the church. So in response to that, we train teams of young adults and send them to minister in parishes and schools across the United States. And we do a podcast as well, which is great fun. Yes, it is. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, actually. Um, Yeah, I'm doing well. It's summer. I'm smiling. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) I also really like summer. Yeah. It's not winter. And... In fact, I get offended sometimes when people like other seasons. Like, oh man, for example, um, fall. Like, there's all this hype about how great fall is. Like, the pumpkin spice latte comes out. PSL, right? And people are excited to wear sweatshirts and jackets. Um, but here's what I think: fall just leads to winter, and so why like it at all? I say like throw it out with winter too. Wow, that's some strong words. I disagree with that, but that's okay. We we can still be friends, and we can still have a friendly conversation via podcast. It's fine, man. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, today's show is going to be a good one. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, are you ready for it, Matt? I'm really excited. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Um, so, I in- interviewed one of our NET alumna, um, Chica. She is awesome she does uh she's a national speaker um and she uh and i are going to speak today about racism which is a huge subject um one which oftentimes people aren't willing to kind of broach or talk about particularly in catholic circles um but the church actually has put out lots and lots of stuff speaking against racism both in the world and also in the in the church um and Chica shares perspectives from her story, um, some things that she's seen in her life. Um, having Nigerian ethnicity herself, she has that perspective that perhaps many of us don't have if we're not um, part of a min- minority. Um, it's a really, really good discussion, and I think there's going to be a lot of value for people. Um, so whether or not you think you've experienced racism or have seen it yourself in your church i think you need to give this a listen because i think it's actually more prevalent than you might realize yeah i'm really excited to listen to this interview i can uh only speak to chica's character and who she is uh she's just an outstanding person she's somebody who loves everyone every person who's in front of her and to emphasize that point I once worked uh, what we call here at NET an interview retreat weekend with Chica. And what that means exactly is that we have a retreat and we do interviews at the beginning. And like most interviews, you know, go or end up is that we end up accepting some people. And some people, we just don't think that, you know, NET is the right place or this is the right time for them. But Chica loves people so much that it was really difficult for her to not recommend every single person for net (laughs) because I think she just saw uh, Christ in each person in a very individual way. And 
just she just absolutely wanted the best for every single person. So it was really a joy to interview with her. It was a joy to spend the weekend with her. She's really outstanding. Yeah, and actually, she's also an author. I don't know if you knew that. Actually, you do know that because you've recommended her book on this podcast I before. Yeah. Um, it's called My Encounter, her book, How I Met Jesus in Prayer. And it's awesome. It's a, this little booklet put out by Life Teen. Um, and we have about 10 copies to give away. Um, leave us a review on iTunes um, and send an email to podcast at netusa.org. And I will send you a copy of her book if you do that for us. Awesome. Well, that's great, Dan. Well, let's jump right into the interview with Chica. Here we go. You are a princess, a, a daughter of God, um, beloved by the king of the universe, but you're also like an earthly princess as well. Is that right? Yeah. So my family, we are Nigerian, and in Nigeria, there's, you know, there's a president, there's, you know, democracy, all that stuff, but there are little provinces that still have what's called an eze, which is a king. And my dad is a chief, which isn't too uncommon, but my mom is chief missus, and that's that's so legit. My mom is she's <laughs> the best woman ever. She, I know everyone says, oh, a lot of people say that about their moms, but uh, my mom's pretty fantastic. So she's uh, a chief missus, and there is this area in Nigeria where my parents have been so generous and giving and loving into, um, in a sense of gratitude, uh, the king there, the Eze, crowned the oldest boy and the oldest girl. Wow. So I'm the youngest. I have two older brothers and an older sister. So my older brother and my older sister get the crown, but we all carry the title. But I'm not going to lie. When there was a ceremony, my second brother and I were just kind of like sitting there <laughs> like, we cannot wait to dethrone you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So is it is it more than like, I don't know, like Miss America or Miss Minnesota? Is it like more of a honorary title than that? Or do you get to do things like wield yeah. a scepter and rule with an iron fist? <laughs> In my head, I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not really much of that. I mean, when we go to Nigeria, there's an opportunity to um, like go back there and see what's happening in the community and to continue to give to that community. But there's not really much that we do. I mean, here in the States, like nobody knows. So, um, but that's why it's really funny when you check your email and it's like Prince so-and-so in Nigeria. It's like, don't ruin it for us. That's a real thing. <laughs> and no, we're not asking you for money. So if you ever get one of those emails, it's that's not a real thing. Uh, I'm real princess wise and my brother is a real prince wise. But if they're asking you for money, don't do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. There's always one that ruins it for all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in England, princes and princesses are uh, of a lineage. You know, mm. so there's, I mean, I guess way back when there was belief that there was like divine blood yeah. that ran through people. It's, that's not the same, is it? No, okay. no, not the same. All right. Different yeah. kind of uh, prince, princes <laughs> and princesses. Um, Chica, it's so great to have you here. I got you, your book. You have a little book that you have released with uh, Life Teen yes. called My Encounter, How I Met Jesus in Prayer. And I've been flicking through it and it's awesome. I knew you from when you served with Net a few years ago. Mm -hmm. In fact, you served before I did and then came back when I was a supervisor, I think. Yes. Um, and, like, I had no idea that you'd go on to uh, work with Life Teen. Is, is, is that what you're doing these days? Yeah. So I'm um, – I. 
Okay. So I did net 2005, 2006, and then was seven years in ministry um, as a youth minister. And had, well, I had seven years in between, I should say. And during that time, I was a youth minister um, and I loved it. And I just felt like God was calling me. There was a time where I, I was thinking like, God, something's off in my ministry. Hmm. Um, something's off in my life. And, and what is it? And I actually had an opportunity to go on a personal retreat. And I looked at the women who were serving me and I thought, they are serving me in such a way that I know I'm not serving my youth in this hmm. way. Where did I first learn how to serve well and selflessly? And that was when I was on net. Hmm. And so seven years later, I actually came back on the road in 2012, 13, um, and it was it was a great experience. It was a difficult. I think everyone says the same thing. It's the best year in your life, and it's the hardest year in your yeah. life, and that still proved true. Um, but it it definitely gave me the grace to come back into ministry and work really hard, and to fall in love with the Lord through serving um, His youth. And as I was doing that, I loved it, but I still felt like okay, now there's a different restlessness in me, and the way that God has always revealed himself has been through restlessness. So when I'm restless, I know that there's time for a change or there's going to be a change. And I was thinking maybe I'm supposed to be a youth minister at a different parish. And long story short, it was, um, that wasn't the case. And so I was heading to world youth day. I quit my, my job as a youth minister. I, I resigned. I didn't quit, but cause I love that church, but, um, I went on to, go to world youth day. And when I came back, I was like, Lord, I'm not working. I'm without a job. I know that seems really irresponsible to do, but I feel like you're calling me to do something. And I don't know what that is. And I don't want to jump into anything. And during this time I was, um, I'm an area contact with life team for the diocese of San Bernardino. Okay. Yeah. So I ministered to youth ministers is what that is. Oh wow! And then, um, as I was doing that, I would give talks at different events or conferences, their empower trainings. And the more I would speak, the more people would say, oh, I heard you at this. Will you come to my parish and speak here? I heard you at that. Will you come to my parish? And the more that that kept happening, um, took it to prayer and really felt God saying like, yes, like this is it. And actually one person, I've always prayed for the gift of tongues mm. and I don't have that spiritual gift. I'm like, Lord, I want to be able to praise you when my words fail. I want my spirit to take over. So I pray for the gift of tongues constantly. And one day someone said, do you know that you have the gift of tongues? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I don't. And they said, well, not in the traditional sense, but in the way that you speak, um, you give voice to the spirit. And that was like, oh, sweet Jesus. Yes. <laughs> then I'm doing exactly what you want me to do. So I'm a full-time Catholic speaker. I travel around the U.S. internationally. I was in Australia just in September. Um, and I, I give my life to this ministry. Yeah. Wow. You're a full-time international speaker. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, what Do you have like a repertoire of talks that you give or is it based on whatever they ask you that they want? Yeah. I... I'm in a place where I, I never write or I never give the same talk that I write. Sure. So it's really hard when people say like, what's your, uh, what's your niche? What do you like to talk about? It's pretty much the Holy spirit, our blessed mother. Um, I do love talking about theology of the body, uh, prayer. That's what the book that I wrote through life teen, my encounter is about prayer. Um, but I don't want to at this time in my life, I feel like God's just saying, if I give you the words, speak them. Love it. So yeah. I love it. <laughs> so the book, 
how did you get to write this? Was Mark Hart at one of your talks and he said, I need that girl to write me a book. <laughs> well, actually, it was through his invitation. Yeah. <laughs> so it did happen. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. He said, um, actually, that's very, very accurate. <laughs> he, uh, we were having conversation and he just asked me this question of what yeah. do people ask you to speak on the most? Yeah. And I said prayer, yeah. which is so funny because I feel like I'm bad at prayer. Hmm. Um, and not necessarily that I'm bad at it, but I just struggle with that. Is it a chore or is it my relationship with God? Which one is it? Um, is it something that's on my checklist or is it like, God, I love you so much that I want to spend time with you in prayer. And he, he just kind of sat with that. And then one day he said, okay, well, we would like you to write, um, we'd like you to write a book on prayer. And so it was during a time of intense, um, struggle. Like I, I had the worst writer's block and I really think it was spiritual warfare. I would write two sentences and then be like, oh, that was great. I'm going to get up for the next five hours and not touch this book again, or even for the next two days and not look at this book. Um, I had such horrible writer's block and there were times where I would just cry about it. Um, and then it was like, okay, Chica, if you're going to write about prayer, then you need to be a woman of prayer. Hmm. Go deep, go into um, a lot of the book is my personal testimony and again, how I, how Jesus has met me in prayer. Um, so I just started writing that. And what's the, the beauty of it is I learned how to share my testimony from giving a testimony on net. So if you look at the uh, dedication or, you know, where I say, thank you, um, net ministries is a part of that. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Thanks for uh, giving us a shout out for that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I really loved, uh, <laughs> like the first part of the book really grabbed me because I think it just related so well. Like, um, I kind of want you to read it. So it's like an audio book, but, I'll, I'll, um, so no, you have the, the right accent for oh, okay. it. So just in a girly voice, please. <clears throat> uh, hmm. How about I just do it in my best audio book voice? Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so it's entitled, I think, um, how's your prayer life? And you say, it was a question I liked to avoid, not because it was difficult to answer, but because I was ashamed of my answer. Sporadic, distracted, fruitless, unfeeling, non-existent. Okay, stop there. I mean, that like got me. I'm like, okay, yes, I've definitely experienced that yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and then you go on to say, prayer did not come easily for me. I was constantly told I needed at least 30 minutes of personal prayer every morning to grow in relationship with Jesus. But I could barely get five minutes before my thoughts drifted to waffles, bacon, and black coffee, or the lengthy to-do list I kept adding to. Okay, now you got me. Like, okay, yes, that's where my mind goes. Um, <laughs> prayer was a chore. It, too, had been added and not checked off my list. Um, wow. I, I, I think this is... Great. I mean, who's this book for anyway? Is it for teens or is it for me? It's yeah. <laughs> it really does span that the the generation gap because we all are striving for holiness. We all want to meet God and yet we are you know, fighting with uh wanting to be the best boss that we can be, the best student we can be, the best spouse we can be. We're so busy and yet where does God fit into that busyness? Mm. And so we sometimes we just make it a chore. It's it's something that we have to do because we're told that we have to do it. I love that net, um, as well as many other saints talk about like that time with God, like at least thirty minutes. I think it was Pope John Paul who had an encounter where he was in prayer and someone you know interrupted him and said, um, 
you know, Holy Father, there's a situation that's going, we need you. It's very important. And he said, more reason for me to be in prayer. Mm. And it's like, oh, sweet Jesus. I would say, oh, God, you understand. I got to go. I, this situation needs me. Well, it needs God more than it needs me. Yeah. So prayer is really, really important. And it, it's our relationship with God. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. Yeah. Um, I'm reading the practice of the presence of God by brother oh, yeah, Lawrence right great. now. Yeah. It's kicking my tail. Oh my <laughs> gosh. But just in reading that, um, whether he was washing dishes, going to the market, yeah. um, there was no like prayer time. It wasn't here is 30 minutes that I'm dedicating to prayer. It was washing dishes is my prayer. Yeah. Um, going to the market, even though I hate it, that's my prayer. Is it Brother Lawrence who has the quote that says something like, God must be found amongst the pots and pans? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love that. And that that's just such good wisdom, especially for... Um, you know, maybe you're, you have a really intense career that demands a lot of your schedule or you're a mother who stays home with the kids. Mm -hmm. Like God must be found amongst the changing of diapers and the commute to work. And so even if you don't have the luxury of being able to, you know, set aside 30 minutes at every single day, Mm -hmm. we do have to have that sort of spirit of, um, practicing the presence of God. Yeah, it really is that that internal glance towards heaven, because even if you're like, I don't feel like praying, maybe it's not even that you're busy. Maybe there's a spiritual dryness that you're going through, or maybe you're there's something there's a situation in your life and you're looking for God. Like, where are you? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm hurting right now. Uh, my fa- or someone in my life is hurting and you just don't know what to do. And you're angry with God and mm. you. I think it's so important to either um, just to tell God that like, that's your prayer right now. Your anger is your prayer and God can handle it. He's not afraid of you. So he can take you yelling at him. That is your prayer. And that's okay. Um, I've also experienced times where I've been so um, sad or I don't, I don't know how to turn to God. And that's why community is so important. Um, I'll ask other people to pray for me and their collective prayers I know um, have been what has gotten me through some some difficult times in my life. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm thinking, you know, bring it back to Jesus. Like one of the things that always just kind of makes me scratch my head is that he went to pray alone a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, he's God himself. Like what does, like why does he need to go and pray um, but we have these beautiful images in scripture where um, before he picks the 12 disciples, he goes to pray about that. Like, is he going to pray about that? Like, who should I pick? Yeah. Well, maybe, or maybe he just recognizes um, his heart's desire is most fulfilled in his unity with the Father. Mm. Um, and just spending that time to be alone with the Father. Uh, that is something that, I wish I could cultivate in my life. It's something that he asked, he prayed for, you know, in John 17, which we'll talk about later. He asks God that um, we may be kept in his name, Mm -hmm. um, that we may be one as he and the father are one. Um, And that prayer for like us, you know, is a prayer for us to be in relationship with God and one but also to be in a relationship with one another, like you mentioned just then about community. And that's what we're talking about today as well. We're going to talk about um, community, but we're going to talk about the skeleton that's in the closet or something Mm -hmm. that people do not really 
like to acknowledge or talk about. Um, you had given a talk or something, I think, at um, a conference with one of your spiritual buddies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, I, I read through some of the notes on it, and I was just really struck by um, your testimony. You had this one section that was called um, Testimony on Racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that is happening right now. It's not something that happened, you know, 50 years ago. 60 years ago, 70 years ago. It's something that's still happening today, but something that people don't really acknowledge too much. And I'm hoping that you'll be willing to share with me a little bit about your experience today. Yes, thank you for asking. And I, it's so good that we're having this conversation. And you're right. It's that skeleton that nobody wants to talk about, and even within the church. And um, it's coming to a point where it, no one can be silent on this topic. And if you are silent, that that's probably a part of the problem. So it's great that we are having this dialogue, this conversation where we can bring it to light, um, and especially as children of the church. Mm. So as a church itself. So growing up, uh, I grew up in, in Loma Linda, California, beautiful community. We were featured on Oprah for having <laughs> <laughs> the most, like the healthiest people because um, it's a Seventh-day Adventist community, uh, even though we were the only Catholic church. Okay. Um, but I grew up in this area that was, um, there were very few African-Americans in there. So I'm Nigerian. I was born and raised in California, but my ethnic background is Nigerian. So my uh, first generation born U.S. citizen. And, um, you know, we would have people spray paint our sidewalks with the N-word on it. Um, we would have, we would be followed in stores. Uh, we would go in and, and automatically have someone follow us in what stores. Followed. So... They would uh, – a, a worker of the store would um, would literally, like, go behind us and follow us. Not so close, but um, they would pretend that they were fixing, you know, inventory on a shelf. And if we would go to another aisle, then all of a sudden there they were on that aisle too. And huh. as a kid, I, I started seeing this. And so what I would do, being a little, you know, punk that I am, uh, I would start – going to different aisles very quickly. So not running in a store, but I would pick something up, quickly put it down, and then go to another aisle, pick something up, put it down, go to another aisle, because I would notice that like they're following me. Well, I'm going to make them work for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there is that situation. And um, when I was in fourth grade, that was the first time um, I was I was called uh, the N-word. And it was on the playground. Gosh. And uh, it was just a little girl saying it out of, you know, I don't know really what the situation was, but I don't even know if she knew the word, but at some point in her life, she was taught that word and she was taught to use it against me, maybe not me personally, but against, um, blacks. And I didn't know what that word meant. Mm. I just knew that it was said with such venom that it stung, it hurt. And so when I told my mom, like my mom is angry um, and and my dad was really angry and they're just, you know, don't talk to that little girl again. And, you know, my mom worked at the school, so she had to talk to the principal. And I just knew like, wow, this word has so much weight to it because look at how it's, my parents are reacting. Um, And since then, that wasn't the last time I heard that word. Um, it was the first time, but it wasn't the last time, unfortunately. Yeah. So this experience, um, it, it's not something that was just back then. And even my siblings experienced racism. Um, 
through even racial profiling. I have two older brothers and an older sister. And when we were young, my, uh, I remember my brothers were in high school and they played football, really good kids. Um, there after the football games, there's always like an after party at the coach's house and they were driving in a city, um, next door to where we live in Redlands. And as they were driving, they were pulled over by a police officer. There was, um, so two black guys, I think two or three Hispanic males, and they were pulled over and it was kind of that, like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? Why are you here? And it's like, well, we're leaving the after game party at the coach's house. And, um, you know, well, you look like there's a, there was a fight and you look like, uh, the guys who were in the fight or you match your description. It's like, no, no, we don't. But they were made to get out of the car. And I mean, that's really scary for just high schoolers and the police finding nothing, uh, gave them a ticket for having a rosary on their rear view mirror and saying that it obstructs their view. And so that's because there was nothing else to get them on. They try to catch them on having a rosary on their rear view mirror. So um, my parents being so upset and, you know, they're like, well, of course we're going to fight this ticket. And they fought the ticket in court. And of course um, my brother was vindicated from the situation, but we've experienced that. Uh, my brothers have had guns drawn on them by officers um, in cases that have immediately been dismissed and or even like after it's happened like oh well um gosh there's so much to say uh my my eldest brother he was moving things out of his car and putting it in uh my cousin's or my godbrother's car because he was going to get his car to be serviced and he didn't want like stuff in there and um someone called and said that they were stealing things what and it's like no like i i my God brother is helping me move things out of my car, um, and placing it in his car so I can get it serviced. And, you know, again, it was the whole guns drawn and they have to wait, guns were drawn, guns are drawn. And the, the, the scary part was, you know, my niece was maybe a year at the time. Luckily she was not in the car, but I think like, what if, what if she was in the car? Like they wouldn't be able to see her cause there's a car seat, but, um, and I understand that they were just doing their job. They were, you, they were, um, taking the information that they were given, like, Hey, they so they think someone is stealing something or breaking into, um, a house or whatever the situation may be. Um, but that wasn't the case. So if you can imagine, you'll probably go your entire life without that happening, without police being called on you, um, for moving things out of your car, you will probably never have guns drawn on you. Uh, but, I believe my siblings have had that happen uh, more than once and once is enough. And they've never ever, like my brother wanted to be a police officer. He's not because unfortunately some of the situations that he's experienced, but um, they are amazing God fearing men. Yeah. And you know, before I continue, I just need to make sure that this is clear that um, in speaking of experiences with the police it is not a negation of the great work that officers do. I mean, I we have some of our alum who are um, and who are police officers. I'm in the wedding of one of our alums who is a sheriff for the LASD, and if some if there's an emergency that's happening, like I'm going to call the police no matter what. I will call the police, but there's still some officers who, because of systemic racism. Um, unfortunately don't follow 
the law clearly and how they work with um, the black and Hispanic community. And so I just want to make sure it's clear, though, that in calling out those officers, it is not calling out the entire police force. Like my heart is always in prayer for the men and women who are courageously stepping into danger when many people are running away from it. Um, They are brave. They are going into those situations knowing a lot of distrust that some of um, like the black community have against police officers. Like they are... They are going into those communities. They are talking with school children. They are helping out um, just whoever they can find so that they can build up that trust. That is so good and necessary and amazing. So in calling out the bad and rooting out the bad, it's pulling up the weeds. We're not trying to pull up the the fruit, the good officers. Um, you know, when we had the... Uh, the police, uh, excuse me, the, the priest abuse scandal, it was necessary to call out those priests who were not doing good things. We wanted them to be rooted out so that the priests who are living their vocation faithfully um, and with so much love and passion so that they can be free to do so um, without being hindered by those who have possibly given the church a bad name, who have caused scandal. So in rooting out the bad, um, it's allowing the good to bear much fruit. So I just want to make sure that's, that's very clear. Even within the church setting, um, you know, I was at a, a, I worked for a church, love that church so, so dearly. And, uh, there is a, a supervisor, our boss who worked there and we were having our office Christmas party and it was raining. And my coworker who is Mexican was, um, you know, taking food and, and bringing it into the office Christmas party. And he said to me like, Oh my gosh, my back is so wet. It's raining out there. And, um, the boss said, Oh, so does that make you a wet back? Hmm. And that is an extremely derogatory statement. That is Hmm. a horrific thing to say to someone that is, you know, um, when there were, uh, migrants or immigrants who were crossing through the Rio Grande canal, that's what they would call, um, those people who are passing through. So for him to say that, and then to be like, Oh, kind of laughing, like it's a joke. Um, this is the church <laughs> we should have. We're always called to a higher standard, um, being Christians and for him to say something so cruel, but laugh it off as a joke. It was, I, was so uncomfortable and so sad that my coworker experienced that. Um, and I didn't know what to say because it was my boss who said it. And unfortunately I feared some sort of like retribution. Like I would be in trouble if I spoke out against it. So I didn't say anything right then and there. Um, but I thought about it and it haunted me. So the next day I, um, or maybe it was later on that day, I pulled my coworker aside and I said, I am so, so sorry that those words were said to you. I'm so sorry that I didn't speak up at the moment. I just didn't know what to say, but that should never have been said to you. Um, you know, and and we had a conversation about it and many years later, I had an opportunity to, um, speak to my boss and to, or my former boss at the time, um, and tell him like, that was not okay. You know, that should never have been said. Um, and I, just for clarification, if you're like, what church was that and who said it? Um, 
that's not necessary to know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're no longer there and the church is great. And mm-hmm. that person is a great person. Mm-hmm. They acted out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was necessary that they needed to be told of that, that ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, not, it, it was all out of love. Like I try to do everything out of mm-hmm. love. So even if I'm correcting you, it is with the utmost love mm-hmm. for you and out of love of God that I'm going to correct you. So when um, we sat down and we had a conversation many years later, um, when I told him, like, this is not okay, um, you should apologize. And he did apologize to me. And I don't know if he ever apologized to the, the coworker, but it was all out of love. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Wow. That's that, that challenges me to just be really careful with just my words because words are um, very powerful. Absolutely. You know? And many times you just think, oh, but I'm just joking. Yeah. Well, your experience is so different from my experience. So something that you think is, is funny, um, especially when it comes to race, uh, mm. because of my history of experiencing racism, yeah. it may, because maybe you haven't experienced it the way that yeah. I have, um, you may think like, oh, that I was just joking with you. You're being too sensitive. Like, you know, millennials were always offended <laughs> kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But really we don't, you don't know my experience until you ask me my experience. Right. And so it could be very damaging. Yeah. Cause yeah. So, like we don't know what traumatic things have happened in the past that right. that's going to just evoke the memory of, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I was going to ask like, you had mentioned before that a lot of the times you find yourself to be the only black person in Catholic circles, yeah. right? Yeah. What is, what is that like for your experience? Oh, man. Um, it's, it's interesting. I went to a concert recently of Catholic, um, Catholic artist, and I remember like taking a step back, and I like to praise, and because I like to move quite uh, – wildly <laughs> I like right to now stay. you're like stretching yeah. your arms out in my <laughs> office the microphone can't see it but i think everybody knows that you're doing it right yeah, i'm like moving my hands and like gestures of praise but um i do i like to move around and so i usually stand in the back and at one point i was standing in the back in a crowd of a thousand plus people and i realized i'm the only black person here oh huh. wow and it's it's part of the church, especially the church in America. Usually if there is a black community, it's an, a black African community. So a lot of Nigerians, like there's these little hubs of, of – um, and it's like with most cultures, you go where there's a hub of your culture. Yeah. Um, so being uh, from the Inland Empire in San Bernardino County, um, we have like a, a hub of Nigerians there. And so I grew up with that, but – there's not a lot of black Americans. Yeah. I think there's a lack of outreach to black Americans. Mm-hmm. And so we're so used to, um, people coming to us as Catholics, like people come to us for like literally to the church because you want your child baptized. You want to be married in the church. You want to receive the sacrament. So you literally have to go to the church. Um, we do not, we don't do outreach so well. So, I think that that's something that's missing because there is this, like, um, people wonder, like, why, why are you Catholic? Um, even the church has a history of racism. I went to, um, do a come and see years ago and it was so beautiful to see that the sisters that I visited, um, they 
documented, they had a video of the history of their congregation and they documented that, um, unfortunately racism was a part of it, that they didn't allow, um, blacks and any other, um, people of color to be a part of their congregation for quite some years. Um, and then after, I don't, I don't remember what time it was, then they allowed it, but they were only allowed to minister to other people of color. They weren't allowed to minister to whites or, or anything like that. Um, so then again, there was a need for more change to occur. Hmm. So I, I feel like the church is acknowledging, um, and our bishops, the USCCB, they have many documents written um, acknowledging that there is a need for change. There's a need for conversation and dialogue. Um, this is a pro-life issue. Hmm. I really think that racism is a pro-life issue because it speaks to the um, the unjust um, – gosh, how do I, how do I say this? It's a pro-life issue because it's about the dignity of the human person. Mm-hmm. And uh, the USCCB talks about racism as an evil, like it's an outright evil. Mm-hmm. And so when you are looking at someone with um, discontent towards them because of um, their socioeconomic background, their ethnicity, anything like that, like you are – you that's, that's an evil that's being committed. Um, that's definitely um, – mortal sin. Like Mm. that's not just, that's nothing light. Like that really is sin because you are not looking at that person with love or with the eyes of Christ. Mm. Um, they are completely othered and outcasted from you. Mm. The, so you mentioned USCCB. So they have a pastoral letter on racism called brothers and sisters to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, you pretty much quoted it then, but I wanted you to help me understand it a little bit better. There's one quote in it that says, racism is an evil which endures in our society and in our church. Despite apparent advances and even significant changes in the last two decades, this was written in uh, 1979, Mm -hmm. um, the reality of racism remains. In large part, it is only external appearances which have changed. A couple of things. Firstly, um, I mean, it says despite apparent advances and even significant changes in the last two decades, so that would be from the 60s to the 80s. Um, first part of the question, I guess, would be um, have, thing of, ha- have things advanced in a positive way since the 80s? Um, and then the second part of the question would be um, in what ways is racism enduring not only in our society, but in the church? Mm. So have things come along in the past, uh, since the eighties? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there are positive changes in that, you know, um, I'll say this, this is something that is it, it's a hardship, but it's a, it's a good hardship. I think people are, um, now beginning to notice that America is a new mission field before we used to send, you know, Americans to, um, whether it's Africa or Asia or just other third world countries. And we would send 
um, our priest and our yep. sisters there to minister to the people. But if you notice, there is a huge influx of priests coming to America. And yes, that there is a priest shortage, but um, I know that there's a lot of Nigerian priests. You, there's an amazing church here, um, St. Hubert's in Chanhassen. Yeah. And I think his name is Father, is it Bruno? I think that's his name, but he's, he's so wonderful. Um, and he's a priest leaving the warmth and heat of Nigeria (laughs) for the tundra of Minnesota. I have to tell you that, so England has been a mission field for a Mm -hmm. long time, right? Um, and some of my favorite priests are the Nigerian priests. And in fact, uh, there was one father, Peter, he, um, tried to marry me to his uh, sister. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it was really, he was really, really nice. It, but it was a hilarious situation. Like he set up a date and everything. Oh and, gosh. Uh, but How'd it, it go? It, it well, you're okay. married now. So yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter. I'm married <laughs> not to his sister right. now. <laughs> but, um, there was some of the, the joy filled, yeah. um, passionate, mm-hmm. fiery, um, and just very loving. Um, yeah. But yeah, England's been a mission field for a long, long time, and we've 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 seen a huge influx of Nigerian priests, um, and they're some of our best priests. And th- the one thing that struck me because a lot of English priests are older, mm-hmm. like a lot of them are very young as well. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Try to get through a homily without a Nigerian priest singing a song. Or, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's so good, but when I would, when I worked at this parish, I would get a lot of people saying like, oh, when is the, when is the white priest celebrating mass? We want to go to that mass. And it's not so much, um, it's, it's not so much because he's white, but because they would say like the accent is so thick. I can't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that's a moment of we'll lean into this, Mm. like how are you, instead of saying, I don't want to go to that mass because yeah. I can't understand that You're not priest. made for comfort, people. Exactly. So are how are you meeting that priest? Like, this can be your spiritual director. This can be someone who really needs to tell you what you need to hear, but you're going to dismiss him because, oh, I can't understand him. Well, how about you take him to lunch and you ask him questions about himself? How about you, um, instead of saying, like, well, I can't listen, so... I can't understand. So I'm just going to sit here and be upset and just receive communion. Well, are you trying? What are you doing to really fine tune your ears to hear? And I remember there is, um, growing up in, in Southern California, we have a lot of, uh, Hispanic priests, whether it's from El Salvador, Guatemala, Colombia, um, Mexico. And there was this one priest whose accent was so thick. And I used to like journal during his homily because I couldn't understand anything. Um, and finally I was like, I, I should really befriend him. And the more that I talk with him, the more that I will hear those inflections. I'll hear the different tonalities that um, are not easy for my ear, but I will soon come to know them better. And that way I can understand his homilies because what he's saying is so important for me. Um, and, And the same thing with, you know, now I live in Anaheim, there's a huge Vietnamese community and I'm not used to hearing, um, the Vietnamese accent. So I really have to lean in and hear. So I think what is positive about the church is that, um, it's, it's funny because it's out of the hardship of not having enough priest Mm -hmm. that God is in a sense, disrupting our comfort and, um, allowing us to 
meet other cultures yeah. and embrace those other cultures. And we are literally all sitting at the same table of the Lord. Like when we talk about sitting at the table and who's invited to the table, all that good stuff. Um, we are now sitting at the table of the Lord and the person who's leading us in, in the sacrifice of the mass is maybe someone who we're not used to seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's, it's, that's an improvement. Okay. So that that's an improvement. And, and you kind of touched on as well, like sometimes people's unwillingness to change. And I think mm-hmm. it's like, it's innocent enough, but it's also not good enough. You know, like it's mm-hmm. innocent enough. Like they're not like outwardly trying to be racist. Right. Right. But right. it's also not good enough because they're settling for their own comfort rather than maybe going beyond that and engaging in something that's different, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, and, but what other ways have you seen racism kind of endure okay. within yeah. the church? Um, uh, our, our bishop in, in, uh, um, has once talked about uh, what he calls the great white flight. So great white flight. Yes, and it's the not great a flight white... of like blonde beers. No, if okay. only. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, when there was um, so, I'll, I'll say this: uh, one of the churches that I used to work at, um, there was the reason why that church. So okay, so there was two churches in this city, and I never even knew of the other church. Um, but the reason why that church was created was because the priest refused to baptize Mexican babies. What? And because of that, the Mexican community um, built a church and they had uh, a Spanish priest and he came in and that was their community. And they, uh, the bishop in our diocese merged these two churches together and it was a fight. The resistance, I mean, they still haven't built one church. They're still, they're one church, but two separate sites and they're, they've gotten so much better. So when I speak of this community, it's not with anything but love. Um, they've, they have learned how to work together, which is amazing. Um, but that's something that has happened. Um, but in ways that it has endured, um, I remember going to mass and this woman was late to mass. It was daily mass. And, uh, the priest said to her, um, called her out in front of everyone. I mean, sweet goodness. And said to her, um, here in America, we start on time and no, not Mexican time, but on American time. And he means like, you know, um, like white America. And I just was almost, I wanted to get up and leave so bad, but Hmm. remembering even if the priest is not doing what he's supposed to, like Jesus still shows up. Um, and so again, afterwards, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly apologizing for other people, but you know, I went to her and I hugged her cause you know, I could see, like, I could hear the sniffles. I can see her wiping away tears. And it's like, what are we doing church? Like, what are we doing that? Um, that that's acceptable. Like that the priest feels like in his community, he can say that and get away with it. So it's not just a priest mistake, but there was something that in that community that was okay for him to make that joke. And people chuckled. And I think mostly it was uncomfortable chuckling. I'm like, huh, you know, um, but that's not okay. And other ways that it's endured. Um, I mean, when we talk about immigration, I, Facebook is, <laughs> if you want to, it's almost like if you really want to love people, get off of Facebook yeah. because people on a screen, they feel so 
emboldened to say things that in person I don't think they would ever say. Well, they have like these shields that they can hide behind mm-hmm. that are impenetrable. Yeah. So like it's a form of cowardice when people just say what they wouldn't say in front of somebody to their face. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the USCCB has done a really great job about speaking about immigration. And a lot of times um, when we talk about racism, uh, it's usually, you know, this black and white issue. And that's because of what has happened in America with slavery and whatnot. But it's not just a black and white issue. I know that, um, you know, our Hispanic brothers and sisters um, are Native American brothers and sisters. I mean, how can we talk about racism and not talk about what's happened in the Native American population? Um, our Asian American brothers and sisters, like it's it's not just a black and white issue. Um, it's very much, uh, unfortunately, racism crosses all the divides. Um, but I've seen people on Facebook and, and they write things and these are Catholics. I'm thinking but you know me, like I'm your friend. Like I Chica, I'm your friend. Why would you ever say something about, um, gosh, someone once said, well, if these people don't want to get pulled over, like speaking about like police and, and the shooting of unarmed black men, well, if they don't want to get pulled over, then, um, they shouldn't do bad things or they shouldn't do something that would catch the eye of the, the police officer. And that disgusts me. You know, when my brothers were pulled over as high schoolers, um, what caught the officer's attention? You know, it wasn't that they did anything bad. Um, I really don't think that they fit any sort of description of, oh, there was a fight. I, I really think they were just in the wrong area at the wrong time. Um, so when I see things like that, it's there's such an ignorance there. Uh that I'm just like, how are we friends? <laughs> but because I love you and I want to show you um, and correct you if need be, um, like, let, let's let's be friends and let's talk about this, you know? Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a super complex issue and I think that there's just so much ignorance surrounding it um, that it is important to come back to just the basic truth. Right? The Catechism talks about um, all of us being created in the image of the one God, equally endowed with rational souls, all men have the same nature and the same origin, redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ. All are called to participate in the same divine beatitude. All therefore enjoy an equal dignity. Which gets back to your like um, argument that this is a pro-life issue. If we're talking about the dignity of all human life, yeah. um, because there is so much ignorance, and some of it is malicious, some of it is. Um, born of just, I want to be comfortable and this makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, I'm not going to lean into it, as you right. say. Um, I think that it would be helpful for us to just discuss here um, what you think can be done about this. Like, what can we do as brothers and sisters in Christ um, to help overcome these divides? Yeah, uh, there there is so much that I think, you know, Traveling on the road uh, with Net, um, I think there was only one time, <laughs> uh, possibly two times, um, well, possibly three. Um, okay, so <laughs> possibly three times where I experienced um, like some form of like like prejudice, um, and one was outright. Uh, 
I was, I think we were doing an, a skit and a teen uh, from his seat, like made a comment out loud. Um, and the beauty of that situation though, was his peers corrected him Whoa. and they were like, why would you say that? That was so stupid. And you know, I'm trying to think like, how do I like regain composure? Because for a moment I just looked at him and, you know, gave him that beady eyed glance that my mom taught me <laughs> so well that oh, I'm gonna get you. Um, <laughs> but I didn't need to say anything because his peers corrected him. Mm. And I think that's important is when you see it, call it out, call sin a sin, mm. Mm. you know, and do it with love. Mm. Um, I think that's something we're, we're so afraid nowadays to, uh, to say anything, but that silence is keeping us imprisoned in, um, in darkness. Like we are not letting the light of Christ shine through. And what I mean by that is when we're, when we're silent and we don't speak up, um, we're just allowing it to, um, we're just allowing it to continue. And because of our fear, like perfect love cast out fear. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it out of love then you have nothing to be afraid of, so call it out. Um, so like what, what kind of things do you think that, um, the average listener is going to experience that they should call out? Well, if you see someone being mistreated um, and they're not speaking up for themselves, like if you go to a store and you see someone, you know, being treated ill by, um, I mean, we had the, oh gosh, there was a situation at Starbucks recently where, you know, two African-American men, they didn't purchase anything. They were waiting for a friend. And I think about like, I do this all the time. If I'm waiting for a friend, I don't buy my drink until my friend gets there. Yeah. And then we'll, cause maybe I'm going to buy her drink or his drink or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that is something that like, I'll, I'll wait before I do that. Well, these men were waiting for a friend. They wanted to use a bathroom. Um, they were told, no, there is, I don't know, probably words were exchanged. Like, I don't necessarily think they were at fault, but are um, not, they, they probably said things that were not helping the situation. Sure. Um, they were asked to leave, would not leave. They're meeting a friend. Police were called. They were arrested. What I appreciated though, was in watching the video was that the people in the background were like, wait, why? Like they didn't do anything. Why are you? So they were actually standing up for them. Were the men still arrested? Yes. But was there like, did they have support from people who knew the situation and were calling Sinison? Yes. And that's important. If that was happening and people were just silent and like maybe not meeting their gaze, like, oh gosh, this is embarrassing. This is awkward. I feel uncomfortable. Um, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, I think that just would have made the, the whole situation a lot worse, but because people actually spoke out for them when, um, you know, when the police were taking statements, they were, they were vindicated like, oh, you didn't actually do anything. Um, so when you, yeah, when you see it, call it out. But I think more practical levels, the first thing is to pray. Hmm. We are, you know, talking about prayer. Um, God, open my eyes. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Um, give me a heart to love all people. And in those moments where I'm blind, um, when the Lord does open your eyes, uh, give me the courage to, um, to be repentant, to maybe ask for reconciliation. Like maybe you need to reconcile with someone, um, for something that you have done in the past to them. And, and you're allowed to do that. Like you can reconcile for past things and that's okay. Um, 
pray for those people who pray for our administration, um, our government, uh, those, your, your city leaders, that when they are making laws that they're considering all people. Um, I think that's, that's really important to pray for that clarity for yourself and for others. Um, pray for a spirit of courage and boldness to speak out. Um, and I think fasting is a part of prayer. Like be willing to hunger um, with those who are hungering for justice. So praying and fasting, of course, um, be willing to dialogue. Like, I love that you and I are sitting down and having this conversation. This is a great example of just leaning in, like asking, what is your story? Mm -hmm. You know? And so many times when we're uncomfortable, like we just, we don't want to know more. Um, but if you just ask someone like, Maybe there's a lot of Indian priests as well that I've noticed that are, are from India that are here in the States, um, as well as Nigerian priests. Um, ask them, like, why are you a priest, Father? Um, yeah. How is it that you came here to the States? And, you know, what's a, what's a ministry or mission that you want to do? The more you learn about someone, the less likely you are to hate them. Yeah. Um, or dislike them, or maybe you find out more and you're just like, Ooh, (laughs) um, (laughs) but for the most part, at least you'll come to an understanding. Yeah. That's, I think to me, dialogue, um, is so important. And again, when I reconciled with that pastor or not that pastor, I'm sorry, with that, um, with that person, um, they, didn't even recognize what they said about the the comment that they made to my coworker. They didn't even recognize that it was hurtful. Um, And so when later on those years later, when we had that dialogue, it was like, Oh gosh, like I didn't even realize that. I'm sorry. And we reconciled. So, um, so there's a few more, like, uh, there's so many good things. So pray fast dialogue. Um, there's another uh, document by the USCCB called racism confronting the poison in our common home. Um, you can use excerpts from that to facilitate conversations. Maybe you have a small group, maybe you're part of a small group community and you guys have never really talked about that. That's a great, uh, a great read to use, um, to facilitate conversation And especially for those who work in ministry, um, collaboration, if you have a multi, uh, a multicultural community, a multicultural ethnic community, um, how are you being ministered by them and ministering to them? How are you collaborating together, working together? Uh, being a youth minister, we used to have food sales all the time. And sometimes we'd have like parents like bring food. One of my favorite experiences ever was we were selling um, pozole. is like one of my favorite soups ever to eat. And so they're making pozole and tamales. And so I asked the women if they would come to our church and make them there. And um, we had the teens actually go and help make the food. It was great. I'm telling you, when they are putting masa on a corn husk, the teens are learning about, you know, uh, flavor profiles and all of that stuff. But they're also hearing these stories from these moms. It was hilarious. And the moms also taught them how to clean because they're like, no, 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 we don't leave the kitchen like this. Do you leave your room like that? Well, probably. But no, we're not going to leave the kitchen in this state. So the teens loved um, that experience. Um I guess other things would just be 
Wow. To demonstrate what you want to see. If you want to see change, then you need to demonstrate that change. What does that look like for you, your family, your kids? Like, are you having conversations with your little ones about, um, about, about, uh, prejudice, about racism? I live with a wonderful family and the little girl, um, who's three, she has a book that has like, uh, what is it? I think there's a, a bell, a black ballerina. And she was like, look, Chica, it's you. <laughs> and I'm like, I wish I was, you know, a little ballerina, but what was so awesome was that, um, you know, they're, they're a white family and, you know, being black, um, that she gets to see like in her home, she gets to see, um, another person, but who looks a little bit different. Um, but who still loves and when she goes out into, um, when she goes out to school or, uh, well, she'll probably be homeschooled, but, um, when she goes <laughs> out into the community, it's not like I'm staring at this person because I've never seen a black person before, but it's truly like, I'm looking at you, um, because I think you're beautiful because I love a Chica and Chica's beautiful and <laughs> something yeah. of the sort. So demonstrate it. Like, are you having dinners at your house and inviting other people um, so that your kids can be exposed to other ethnicities. Um, maybe it's even as simple as like cooking a different meal and saying this meal is from, um, Cambodia and, uh, I want to teach you about Cambodian people or about, um, the habitat in Cambodia. I don't know. Those little things will really, um, bring culture to, um, to us and, on a church level, I love, love, love that. My pastor um, over at the church where I was, uh, he had this wall of saints and he made sure that it wasn't just a wall of our European saints or just American saints, but it was a wall of every, like it's the wall of UN. It's um, St. Bikita, who's an African saint. It's St. Lorenzo Reese, who's a Filipino saint. It's Juan Diego, who is a, I believe, I want to say Mexican saint. Yeah. Um, Blessed Kateri, uh, who is a Native American saint. So it's not just the normal realm of saints, but if you want people, again, talking about demonstration, you want to demonstrate that anyone can be a saint and everyone should be a saint. So do you have saints in your home, in your church, at your workplace um, that look like the community, that look like other people? So that for me, who I was always the only black person um, on retreats and for me to be able to see like St. Bikita and think um, she went through hell and back and she loved God so tremendously that she is definitely wearing a crown in heaven. I can do that. Like I can have my struggles. I can experience racism. I can meet it with love and I can wear that crown in heaven besides mm. my earthly crown here. Yes. <laughs> Your <laughs> earthly princess Chica. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. Thanks for uh, sharing all of that with us. Um, yeah. And you know, when we were talking earlier as well, you had this thing that you said something, you know, love requires action, Yeah, you know? Um, and I think that's so true that, um, it's all very well to say, well, I'm not, you know, racist or whatever. I, I love all people, but are you actually doing, um, something to, you know, build bridges mm -hmm. or are you just standing aside as other people break them down? Oh, so um, good. Yeah. Like, 
it's it's really important. It's convicting to me. I do not have um, saints in my home that are of other ethnicities on my wall. In fact, I only have... Well, actually, that's a lie I do. Sorry. <laughs> I'm lying. Um, <laughs> Confession will be. <laughs> but I don't have, like... I like this idea of, like, you know, a world... A wall with, like, all these different saints yeah. you can learn about. I love the idea about, like, cooking different foods. I, I love to cook myself. I cook... Um, a lot of Middle Eastern dishes and also some uh, Indian and Thai dishes. and But I never thought about like bringing in like, okay, let's learn about the culture. Mm-hmm. I love the Japanese culture as well. Like I, I love to cook uh, or make sushi and we have Japanese themed nights sometimes. That is but awesome. <laughs> I never thought of it as like a point of like teaching, mm-hmm. which it can be, but you know, like make it fun. You know, for right. me, it's a passion anyway. I don't need to like force it mm-hmm. i don't need to like now we're going to learn about the japanese people and yeah read from a textbook right no we can experience japanese food and um listen to the music and talk about the culture there and, and maybe together just like what does the catholic church look like in japan okay so we are going to end with a prayer that um the united states conference of catholic bishops has put out it's called prayer to address the sin of racism um we'll put a link to this in the show notes and we encourage you to maybe pray this at home maybe Mm -hmm. make it a part of your meal prayer or get together with some friends and discuss this uh podcast actually before we pray it as well um i do have um some copies of chica's book that Mm -hmm. um i would like to give away uh to you um, all you need to do is leave a review on iTunes for us, a five-star review on iTunes and send me an email at podcast at netusa.org, um, letting me know that you've sent your review and you'd like a copy of Chica's book. And I will send that out to you if you give me your address as well. Um, it's really cool. It's really small and it's very <laughs> cute. It's got some cool, cute pictures of her and her family on the back. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's pocket sized, which is, I think, perfect because you can take it anywhere. But you can also find it on lifeteen.com. Um, and if you would like to follow me on social media, you can. It's at Chica's World and it's C H I K A is how you spell Chica. So <laughs> <laughs> at Chica's World um, on Twitter, Instagram. And uh, you can find me online if you would like me to come and speak at your parish, your youth group, your diocese, whatever it is, your conference. I would love to do that. So you can find me at www.chica.church. So again, chica, C-H-I-K-A dot church. Awesome. Thanks, Chica. Let's pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. We pray for healing to address the persistent sin of racism which rejects the full humanity of some of your children and the talents and potential you have given. We pray for the grace to recognize the systems that do not support the dignity of every person, that do not promote respect for those who are seen as other, who bear the legacy of centuries of discrimination, fear, and violence. We pray for the graced structures We pray for grace structures so children of color in Flint and all children have access to clean water and health care. We pray for grace structures so children of color in in Mississippi and all children have quality education that will allow them to develop their gifts. 
We pray for graced structures so children of colour in Camden and all children have homes where families can live in dignity and security. We pray for graced structures so children of colour in Chicago and all children can grow up without fear, without the sound of gunshots. Lord of all, we ask you to hear and answer our prayers. Give us eyes to see how the past has shaped the complex present and to perceive how we must create a new way forward with a new sense of community that embraces and celebrates the rich diversity of all that helps us live out your call to reject the sin of racism and the stain of hate and to seek a compassionate solidarity supported by your grace and your love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm laughing because you say... Amen. amen and i say amen well that's good it's is <laughs> great compliment complementarity thank amen. you god bless chica thank you all right welcome back everyone welcome uh welcome back. to the second part of the podcast where dan and i recommend something Dan, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. I would like to recommend to you, um, in the theme of ethnicity and all of that, like go out there, try different foods from different nationalities. Something that Sarah and I, or something I like to do, I love to cook. So I'm a big, um, I, I'll cook anything. Um, I'm not great at baking, not as good because <laughs> that's like a little bit more scientific. Okay. I prefer the art kind of side of cooking. But I've visited a lot of countries around the world and. Um, I made a kind of decision once that I'm going to take a recipe from each country as, as a kind of like a, a edible scrapbook, if you will. Um, and then I prepare these foods as staples in our household. Um, but I had this great idea when I was speaking with Chica that wouldn't it be cool to do themed nights and then teach about saints from that nationality and also uh, different aspects of that culture um, so that people can or people, my children and family, can can grow in a kind of worldwide view of instead of like just an American wow. central view. So, yeah, I recommend going out, finding different foods and bringing them into your house and having a themed night. Have you done that at all? Yeah. Well, yeah. So Tell I, me about so, honors. So I've been to, um, I call it Iran. I think Americans call it Iran, but you probably know what I'm saying yeah. anyway. Yep. So... I went there and I took back something called cholo kebab, um, which is this sort of um, – the best way I can explain it is how a friend once explained it. I told him, this is cholo kebab, and he, he just referred to them as meat wads for the <laughs> rest of his life because he couldn't be bothered to like understand uh, its actual name. Um, but it is – that's a very good description. It's a wad of like – burger meat essentially it's like it's a kebab it's really good served with rice tabbouleh um which is from lebanon i've been there too um and flatbread and that's just really cool so you know on those kind of nights i'll even like find music from on spotify and create a playlist do that if i have a board game or a movie or something like that we do sushi nights so we'll we'll make sushi we'll listen to like traditional japanese music and then we'll watch how miyazaki um movies which are put out by studio ghibli and they're awesome and it's a really fun time 
That's amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I'm uh, I'm going to recommend baseball. <laughs> uh, I know that... Uh, Always have to bring it back to America, don't you? Yeah, I just thought, uh, you know... So I grew up playing baseball, and uh, it was my dad's favorite sport. And so I think it became my favorite sport. And I think over the years, I've just, I've just heard a lot of hate about baseball. Um, huh. You know, people complain that, you know, it's like too slow or... People might use a uh, term like boring um, during it, which is it's fine. Um, it's a complicated game. There's there's a lot of different rules. And so it's tough, uh, I think, for like a little kid to just get it like explained to them, mm. you know, fully other than like you hit and you run. Um, but I just I, I think I think baseball, it's, it's an outstanding sport, partially for this reason. Like, it's not all action all the time. So there's times where you want to, like, focus and pay attention to what's going on. Mm. And there's times where you can, you know, go get a cheeseburger <laughs> and it's not <laughs> a big deal. And even for me, I, I really love taking my kids um, to the ballpark. And because because it's not, like, something like basketball or crazy uh, busy action all the time, mm-hmm. uh, it actually, like, there's a lot of good opportunity, like, to talk in yeah. the midst of it. Um I'm also immersed in it right now, so I'm coaching baseball four nights a week. Wow. Um, and so I can't really get away from it at this point. <laughs> but uh, one one funny story is uh, – well, it's funny for one half of the participants. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm coaching t-ball two nights a week, so it's four-year-olds. And uh, it's amazing how – they they aren't really sure what to do yet. Uh, I I think most people can imagine they run the wrong way. A lot of times they'll hit the ball and then run after the ball themselves. The only scary thing is that they're like holding a bat as they run oh, after the ball. My. Um, but we have one we have one kid on our team that he's four, but he's he's probably pretty physically gifted, and so I don't have to coach him a lot. He just kind of knows what to do, and so he walks up to the tee big swing just lines the ball into the to where the defense is and just smacks a kid right in the nose just full on in the face as hard as i've seen a four-year-old hit it and so i kind of went through a bunch of emotions because when he hit it i'm like yeah oh and it was kind of like we had we had to kind of like be like oh you know we couldn't celebrate too much because this kid just got hit in the face not only that it just like his nose just started bleeding everywhere so now all of a sudden this kid's bleeding coming off the field and kid other kids are crying like wow. everybody is everybody is disturbed at this point the game goes on it's fine later on in the game a ball's hit to one of my kids and the kid flips me the ball and i look down at the ball and it's covered in blood <laughs> so i walked the ball over to his dad and just said Maybe you want to keep this one. <laughs> Kid was okay. Everybody was okay. But I recommend uh, this month baseball. Wow. I mean, maybe I'll incorporate that into one of my meal nights. We'll we'll get some hot dogs and um... just take me out to the ball game over and yeah. over on Spotify. Yeah. Oh, this is great. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for listening to our podcast. We would love it if you would share this podcast with a friend. We would love it if you left a review on iTunes, just like Dan said earlier. If you leave us a review on iTunes and email us at podcast at netusa.org, we'll send you a copy of Chica's book for free. We would love it if you left a five-star review. 
Awesome, guys. Great. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please uh, uh, give us a review, recommend this to your friends, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless. You've been listening to the Net Ministries podcast. Check out our show notes and more at netusa.org slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at netusa.org.